welcome to Exploring Filipino Kitchens. I'm your host, Nastasha Allen. This episode, we're going nuts. And you know it's coming for the coconut. I am so excited. You know, I kind of forgot how much fun it is to do a spotlight on, like, different kinds of ingredients. And while this episode isn't comprehensive in any way, if you want to learn about coconuts and how they're prepared in the Philippines, Reggie Newport is basically the best person to ask. I first learned about Reggie and her book, Coconut Kitchen, Appetizers, and Main Dishes, through the Culinary Historians of the Philippines, which I'd actually been following online for a couple of years now. When I went back to Manila, I went to a bookstore specifically that I knew stocked the book uh, because it was just really interesting to me to see that there's this person who's based in the east coast of the U.S. writing about coconut recipes in the Philippines. And I mean, lots of other cookbooks feature coconuts for sure, but this was more like the kind of cookbook you would pick up at like a Chapters Indigo bookstore. That's like a big chain here in Canada. Um, it looked appealing, the titles of the recipes all sounded like things I wanted to make, and the instructions and the way that the recipes were structured as I was browsing through the book seemed very approachable. And that to me is a good hallmark of a cookbook that I'm actually going to use. And so I was excited to bring it back with me here to Toronto. And honestly, all the dishes I've made from it have been amazing. They turn out the way I picture them too. They're colorful, there's like lots of different textures in the dishes, and like they're packed with like all this flavor, which I mean, I know coconuts are flavorful. I know they've got a lot of depth to them, and when you combine them with other ingredients and spices and flavoring methods, you can get a really deep and complex mixture from it. Anyway, so I tried using canned coconut milk and frozen coconut strips to make some of the recipes, and they turned out pretty well. So I, right now, I'm just imagining if I actually had a kitchen in the Philippines where I could easily get like mature coconuts and dried coconuts and like just a really nice kind of like coconut meat, the kind where you just like freshly grate it from something called the caballo or a horse. It's that little bench with the tool scraper thing at the end. I can just like picture myself spending hours on this thing scraping away a whole bunch of coconuts and like squeezing them and like feeling that thick coconut cream just glide through my fingers as I press into it. Probably it's going to be in like this plastic tub, maybe a metal tub. And um, you know, you'd use the first press of that coconut cream for a really nice stew and then use the second press uh, as like coconut milk, like really good coconut milk. We're not talking canned stuff here. And, you know, a third because nothing ever goes to waste. So you can imagine that like 
I'm reading this book and thinking about how I can bring a sense of that into my kitchen, into my condo, um, it's exciting. So I'm equally excited to share this episode with you all. We're going to learn all about what the Coconut Kitchen is with Reggie Tolentino Newport, and we're going to learn about her incredible culinary journey, going back to school, rediscovering like the value of foods that grow in the Philippines, and what led her to founding the Culinary Historians of the Philippines, which is such an amazing organization in itself. And of course, we're going to talk about the book. If you find a copy of Coconut Kitchen, Appetizers, and Main Dishes, I really recommend you get it. So, let's get to it. I am Regina Tolentino Newport, but the friends call me Reggie. And uh, first off, I am a Lola to do... do, do really adorable grandchildren and uh, secondly I'm a late blooming cookbook author and culinary student. I grew up in the Philippines and I moved to the US when I was uh, 29 and after I retired from the IMF in uh, 2003 I decided to go to culinary school at the age of 55. Now there's a there's a whole story that uh I'll bet after I came when we moved to Canada I worked in different hotels for a long time and then I really wanted to like I, I like that work and I'm still sort of in the hospitality and travel industry now for like my day job but I also really wanted to like learn how to write because like I was saying in my first email like the appreciation for the depth and the diversity of Filipino cuisine, I think really, as with a lot of people, kind of hit you and you start missing it and you're out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> well, the t- times have really changed, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really very happy and proud that um, Philippine cuisine is now in the forefront, you know, and a lot of people are putting a spotlight on it now globally. And, you know, so it was very different just 10 years ago. I mean, even I, I have five, there's five girls. I have four sisters and three brothers. And all the girls are good cooks, including my mom, her mom, and her mom's mom. (laughs) Everybody is a good cook. So it's just taken for granted and you never really focus, you know. And this is what I realized. You know, when I when I went to culinary school, people were asking me, "Why are you going to culinary school?" Because I love to cook, and I really did not think that way before then. You know, you just cook because because you cooked, <laughs> and you get compliments here and there, but you never really focus on on uh, that that you really could cook up a storm and, uh, you know, make yourself proud. It never occurred to me. Only now. <laughs> well, it's, as you say in, your, in the book, it's never too late and there's always a lot of room to learn. No, 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 it's never too late. And um, so uh, it was um, a year and a half um, Cordon Bleu uh, diploma course. So 
And uh, it was very funny because, you know, my classes at 55, almost all of my classmates, well, all of them, literally all of them, were younger than my kids. So I was the mommy of the class. (laughs) They called me mom. Now I have to I have to make yabang a little bit to brag a little bit and to say that my cookbook has won two awards, one international and one national. My cookbook is the uh, the Coconut Kitchen, and um, I'm going to tell the story about why I decided to write a cookbook uh, about coconuts. Anyway, the Coconut Kitchen was published by Anvil in the Philippines in late. 2017, and I, you know, I really got the surprise of my life when I was informed that I had been nominated as one of the three finalists in its category for the uh, 2018 Annual Gourmand World Cookbook Awards. I nearly fainted when I saw the, I thought it was a prank, you know, when I got the email Anyway, the other, um, that's the international award, and the other one is a local one. Uh, Once again, one of the three finalists for the 37th National Book Awards of the Philippines. The category was Best Book of Food. So, can you imagine this tiny little book, you know, (laughs) which I uh, labored for um, more than two years on, all of a sudden was uh, won these two awards and and my mother my own mother when she heard it she she was just uh, you know astounded like like we all were <laughs> well anyway my my husband who's my number one fan was the only one he said who was not surprised see <laughs> anyway so i'm very proud of that um and I divide my time between Washington, D.C. and Manila, and while I was working on the book for the past uh, more than two years, really, I made so many trips to Manila, and um, there was an agreement with Anvil for me to do uh, a second book, but uh, I haven't really um, started focusing on that, because this first book, at their insistence, includes recipes uh, for uh, appetizers and main dishes because they said uh, coconut desserts, you know, deserve their own book. So they didn't want me to include desserts in this first book. So I said, okay. So now the second book is supposed to be all coconut desserts. But I don't know when I'm... You know, I have all the recipes um, collected, and I just need to need a kick in the behind to <laughs> start to start to do working on it. So that will be another I don't know another maybe two years of my life down the line. Okay, I gotta pause here for a minute and say that every time I listen to this part, when Reggie shares that she has these plans for a second book about how coconuts are cooked in the Philippines, for desserts especially. And she lets us glimpse a little bit into the amount of work this entails. 
it makes me feel like all kinds of things. Like, I can only imagine how daunting it might be to see all these amazing, delicious recipes like laid out on a table, printed on paper, written out on cards, and knowing that there's so much in there that you just want to be able to capture and share with everyone, but also thinking that, wow, it's going to take a long time to test and like evaluate and develop all these amazing recipes, which are treasures in themselves, but translated for a home kitchen. And then, obviously, to write an entire book about it. And um, I don't know, it just excites me because I love the idea of developing recipes for people to actually replicate and cook from. Anyway, at the same time, like from the perspective of a Filipino person living in Canada who just like yearns for this stuff, this like pretty simply made, but still incredibly better than anything you can absolutely find in a grocery store. This kind of dessert, like the homemade stuff, I can't help but think, you know, like what can I do to show that I support the creation and the publication of these kinds of resources because we need them. Like, if I asked any Filipino chef, let's even just start with that set, if I asked any Filipino chef in the diaspora whether they would like to include a cookbook of coconut desserts in their collection, I bet you 100% will say yes. And I think of this stuff because Imagine you're at a dinner party, or maybe a potluck at work. If you're listening to this, there's a pretty high chance that you live somewhere where at least one other person around you has never had a coconut dessert from the Philippines. Maybe you haven't either. And maybe on your picnic spread you see a Korean rice cake, or a sweet Indian gulab jamun on the table. Wouldn't it be great to see some biko? That sticky rice cake that's just proudly Filipino, topped with latik. And latik is like this coconut cream that's reduced to this beautiful caramelly, syrupy consistency. It's made with coconut milk and sugar, and it's this thing that you just, like, drizzle on top of rice cakes and basically anything else that you put in front of me, if we're being honest. <laughs> I can just taste it now. I'm aspirational, but admittedly, this is the kind of thing I aspire to. mention about the culinary about chop you know culinary historians of the Philippines I founded um, an organization called the uh, culinary historians of the Philippines or chop for short and it is a sister organization of the culinary historians of Washington DC I founded this group in 2011 can you believe but it took almost three years to really get going, 
for the membership to expand and now we have we are running close to about a hundred members it's a wonderful organization everybody is so friendly and you know it's like a family I could almost imagine being in a room and in a meeting of that. Um, I wondered for listeners if you could give us uh, even a, a quick summary, like what the the objectives of CHOP are. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Uh, well, first and foremost, it's called Culinary Historians of the Philippines, okay? But we do not claim to be historians in the academic or scholarly sense of the word. We are students of culinary history about the Philippines. And our principal objective is to study, help preserve, and promote heritage um, cuisine of the Philippines. There's a a lack of knowledge um, among, I'm not talking about the people in the culinary world, but among regular folk, ordinary people, about all this, about our heritage uh, cuisines. So we want to play a part, a role in spreading that information and help educate the ordinary Filipinos about our own cuisine. And we have been um, uh, sponsoring a lot of events, you know, food tours to different parts of the Philippines and seminars and lectures and the thing that i personally find very interesting and i guess like a little bit of a calling for for those who participate and shop and support it is really that desire to spread awareness even of the regional cuisines for example and the the deep history that it has um played because for myself growing up in Manila and for a lot of Filipinos who grew up in the city, I guess like in, in North America, it's talked a little bit more that there's this disconnect between, you know, what people eat on a regular basis. And now that people are starting to be a lot more aware about where their ingredients or their food comes from, um, there's even when I went to culinary school and hospitality school in Manila, I don't remember there being a course that really focused on on regional cuisines of the Philippines. And after I started reading about it... Which, yeah, yeah, which is a big mistake. Because, you know, when I went to culinary school here, we had courses on regional cuisines in the whole of U- the U.S., and this is something that is like, I, I have yet to sort of research what the curriculum is uh, at the um, bigger, you know, culinary schools in the Philippines. And I really don't know um, if they have such courses uh, to educate the, the culinary students there about our own, you know, regional cuisines. I, I'm not sure. Okay, let's pause again for a minute here. I feel this is a good time to like talk about something I've been obsessed with recently. Something called solutions journalism. So I've been reading all these stories from solutionsjournalism.org, which I totally recommend you visit. Basically, what solutions journalism is about is the idea of 
bringing the good news part of a story forward, like right up in the lead, um, but not just the fact that it's a good news story, like really good pieces are able to highlight what is working in a particular situation and really investigate further like the context of why this particular solution is working. So what these stories and photo essays have in common is that at their core, it has this approach to storytelling that focuses on solutions, the good news part of the story, we'll say, versus the numbers and the results that tell us a different story. So for example, that means that instead of a story being about how much coral reef has been damaged or um, just wiped out in the Philippines, the story could be about organizations or even individuals that are actually doing something to address that situation backed up with the numbers and the data and first-person interviews to show that this person's approach to, you know, addressing that problem, their solution is something that's worth noticing. It's newsworthy in itself. Anyway, I bring this up because here's my theory. It's not a secret that people who go to culinary school in the Philippines have immense talent. But the reality is, like right now, and I'd probably say for a couple of decades now, maybe since the 70s, some of our best cooks and chefs have just gone abroad to pursue their dreams of living in some place like New York City or London or even Copenhagen. And that's great, and I totally respect that. But I can't help but think, I'm certain that a lot of them also do it simply because that's where the work is. No one really likes the idea of having to leave your family behind in order to have a career. And, I mean, work in the culinary industry is just one of the many things that the Philippines has exported talent-wise out of the country. I can't help but think that what if we could draw people to different regional centers throughout the Philippines because of its food? I mean, culinary tourism in itself has always been a thing. Ask any Filipino and I'm sure they'll tell you they went somewhere once, at the very least, to eat a local specialty. What can we do to make it something that will keep the talent in, something that will convince young people to stay and learn the traditions of their ancestors for preserving these foodways and being able to present that to people who will travel for food, because there's a growing number of that too. And I don't know, um, if this tourism revenue towards the development of those kinds of programs could just like keep a lot more people it's to me like a win-win situation and I'm really excited about this because working in the travel industry I see firsthand reports and experiences and myself have seen the effects of, of food tourism to local economies also working as a tour guide here in Toronto so it's just something that I care about because what if we could do that what if we could set up 
coconut kitchens all throughout the country and help preserve those foodways. I guess the thing that gets to me is, if that happened, what would Filipino food culture look like 20 years from now? And how often can I visit? Wouldn't you want to read a good news story about that? These are the kinds of solutions that I know are happening on the ground and just need a little more exposure. Yeah, and, and you know something? We, um, I try to be up to date on our archives of all our um, events because eventually I, I have started making a list of all the dishes those that count, huh? Of all the dishes that we tasted and we learned about, and we're going to come out with a cookbook. That's my, my dream right now, is to do a cookbook for CHOP on all our events. Actually, in the past five years. <laughs> so that is a project for the near future, hopefully near future, but that's something we want to do. And uh, hopefully that's something that we collectively, people across the diaspora, would be able to support and, and... That's the thing. We need to do, um, find a way to make it international. So, well, you know, down the line, we'll see. Um, just cross fingers that we can do that because it would be good to be able to distribute the book to the diaspora, as you say, you know, very important. It's a good segue into the content of Coconut Kitchen because that's one of the things that I guess I initially picked up on. And when I was showing my uh, my friends the book, who were not Filipino, they were reading the first couple of chapters, like the introduction and the part where you uh, describe like the Tree of Life and really kind of just list all the, the products um, from coconut trees. And I guess for me, because having grown up in the Philippines, I'm used to all of this. Like I know what the different food products are that you can derive from coconuts. I'm aware of the, the tree of life and how you can really make use of everything in the tree. Um, but what was interesting to me was like the, the reactions that my non-Filipino friends had to the book because here, like coconut water even, just to use an example, is so common now in a lot of supermarkets. And I have a personal thing about how I wish it would be a product of the Philippines one day, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> but um, they were just like very surprised by all of the all of the food products and I mean thankfully there are more and more Filipino restaurants even here in Toronto that non-Filipino people get to visit but they were just like oh I wish I knew that much about coconuts it's like the magical fruit and there's so much that you can get from it and I guess as a Filipino person I was kind of just like oh I guess that's something that we kind of take for granted that there really is so much <laughs> exactly yeah, and really, you know, I, um, in my sort of journey to this point, I was so embarrassed to admit that I did not know anything about the coconut, you know, when 
I found this book by mistake by Dr. Dairit. You know, I could not believe how much I did not know. And how I started questioning myself, how come I didn't know any of this? You know, it's because it's part of your everyday life and you take it for granted. My research is about three years old, but we're at the top three or four coconut producing countries in the world, together with Indonesia, India, and Sri Lanka. The coconut figures a lot in, in our cuisine. And, you know, um, just imagine the map of the Philippines. There's not really much coconut life at the, the, the very north part, but starting from Bicolandia all the way down to Mindanao, to the bottom of Mindanao, plenty of coconut dishes. I did not know this at that time. Yet further proof that it's never too late to learn. First of all, after retirement, I started to try to think of what am I going to do with my life? You know, I'm 55 and I need to do something to keep me busy and happy. And I even considered going into the import-export business, you know, but then that didn't pan out. Um, and then on one of my visits to Manila, a friend of mine treated me to a cooking demo by Reggie Aspiras. She was one of the few then who were popular. And when she told me about it first, I must have sounded really reluctant. And she said, sis, you cannot say no because it's expensive and I already paid for it. <laughs> so, okay, so we went. And this was at the end of my search for trying to find uh, what you know I was going to do in my retirement. So we got to this state-of-the-art demo kitchen in Ortigas. So I sat there, and I tell you, my dear, the room was packed. There must have been about 40 attendees. And all the dishes that she cooked, I already knew how to, to cook. So I just sat there and just watching how she organized the whole thing, and Something clicked in me. I said to myself, this is what I want to do. And I was um, leaving to come home to the U.S. in a couple of days. And as soon as I got back home, in two weeks, I was in culinary school. <laughs> so that's how I, uh, I got into culinary school. And I don't regret it. I don't know about your experience, but I had the time of my life. It killed me physically because of the high level of energy and stamina you need, you know. But I was in heaven, and I would do it again in a heartbeat. I loved it. I loved it. So after that, not being able to decide what I wanted to do, I... Um, went back to the Philippines, and this is when I found Dr. Dairit's book. And this book by Conrado Dairit, it's called The Truth About Coconut Oil, was the next thing that opened up a whole new world for Reggie. Do you remember how I came to um, learn about the coconut when I found that uh, book by Dr. Dairit at National Bookstore? I was just browsing, and I bought the book, and I read it from cover to cover. 
I showed it to um, a couple who were really good friends of mine, and I, I asked them, do you know anything about coconuts? And my friend, the husband, started laughing. And before I knew it, they were driving me to this coconut house, a restaurant in Quezon City, owned and operated by a dear friend of theirs. And so we went there for lunch, and I was just astounded. All the dishes had one or more components of the coconut, and they were all delicious. And so luckily the owner was there. We were happily sampling, you know, I was happily sampling um, a lot of the dishes. And so I, I just asked, would, you, would your restaurant have a cookbook that, you know, I can buy because I want to cook these things at home? You know, and he looked at me and said, Reggie, you know, fate brought you here. Would you do a cookbook for the restaurant? Oh, my God, I nearly fainted. <laughs> anyway, so that, that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And unfortunately, after a couple of years or a little bit more of recipe testing on my own, you know, I did this on my own, most of it, his restaurant's recipes, and some I called from research, the project fell through because of financing problems. So that was a low point, and I thought that was the end of it. So I had all these more than two years of labor, hard work, and, you know, testing recipes, and nothing to show for it. Anyway, when God has a plan, he has a plan. <laughs> and, you know, no matter what you do, the plan is going to get accomplished. I was at a cooking demo at the Maya Kitchens, and a friend of mine, a food writer, told me, Reggie, Gwen and Karina are here, this uh, marketing director and the managing director of Anvil. Oh, I want you to meet uh, Gwen and Karina. So she dragged me and introduced me to this two very nice people in the world, you know. And she mentioned to them shamelessly, oh, you know, she's finished all the work. She was going to publish a coconut cookbook, but it fell through. And wouldn't you know it, these two were very strong proponents of the health benefits of coconuts. I still remember their eyes lit up. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> so you see... It fell on my lap, and, and it took another, uh, another year before the book was published. But, you know, I'm just so grateful. One thing that I really like being able to, to highlight and really feature and something that I've kind of fallen in love with in the, the course of doing these interviews is that at the end of the day, even if we are talking about food, a lot of this is very much a people story. It's a story about how we sort of find our path. Um, all of it is very personal. And even with things like publishing books, or if you're an entrepreneur, like getting that one deal that you know is going to bring your business up to the next level. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I tell you, um, my forming uh, the CHOP group really was the beginning. It opened many doors for me. And 
this was the reason I went to culinary school, you see, because I told my husband, if I want to do this, I need to have street grads. I cannot just go into the Philippines and try to seek out the people in the culinary world and introduce myself. That's not how it's going to happen. You know, I need street creds and I need to do a, a project that um, people can respect, that, you know, and that would be my way into the culinary world. And I tell you, Nastasha, I don't know how many people you have met in the Philippines in the culinary world. You have talked to a lot of the biggies, you know, but Almost, I was so um, very happily surprised. Uh, almost all of the people I have met and known, and they have become good friends to me, they're all nice people. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was sort of um, went into this with trepidation because I didn't know anybody in the culinary world. But through CHOP and my book, it all happened, you know, now I have a big circle of friends and I'm just very, very happy, in a, you know, in this second uh, phase of my, of my life. And, you know, I'm, I just turned 70 and um, I don't know, well, we really don't know how long we are going to be in this world, but I have to tell you, ever since I went into this culinary journey, I have been the happiest person on earth. <laughs> it's so fulfilling. I mean, just, I'm not talking about the, the awards or the, you know, all these big, big things. Cooking something for people you love, you know, it is so fulfilling and it leaves me, even though I die at the end of it physically, I, it makes me so happy just being able to cook for my family when my children visit, when I go visit them or when I'm in the Philippines and here when we have people over, you know, um, for meals, it is I think the most fulfilling effort that you can cooking for people you love. One of the things that I especially love about your cookbook is that there's a good mix of very everyday sort of dishes that you can do, um, as well as uh, things like the uh, the recipe that Beth Romualdez shares about ginatang korakting at kadios, which is mushrooms with coconut milk and black-eyed peas, which is a very like regional. Yeah, these are just a few of the very nice people that I have become really good friends with, and you know. I just asked them, would you, would you contribute a recipe or two to my book? Of course, you know, no problem. <laughs> so that's how I wanted to sort of get from them these recipes that they love to, to cook, you know, these dishes that they love to cook. For coconuts especially, like, the way that Filipinos use coconuts in their cooking is 
I guess for lack of a better word, really not that complicated. There's the three different, I guess, presses of the coconut that you can use. So I just wonder if you can give an overview of some of your favorite ways of preparing coconuts. Well, most of the ways that uh, coconut is used are quite simple, as you say. But there are also very curious and interesting ways like, have you heard of burning the grated coconut before squeezing the milk? So Ruti explains that this particular method is best enjoyed in a dish called kulawo. Kulawo is made of grilled eggplants with like their charred, toasty skin peeled right off, swimming in this like pool of the thick, gingery, burnt coconut sauce that just tastes so much better than the sum of its parts. To make it, she says, What they do, they grate the fresh coconut, unsqueezed, and then they put live coals in the grated coconut and sort of burn the coconut uh, and after that, they squeeze, and the, the milk has a smoky taste. That's what they use for cooking instead of just regular coconut milk. So it, it's very interesting, and I never knew anything about that until Chap went on a tour at Casa San Pablo, you know. We had a food tour, and we also had another um, food tour at Villa, Villa Escudero, and they also had a demo on the burnt coconut uh, technique. Interesting. I never knew that, you know, for me, it's just coconut milk. That's it. Coconut, uh, the coconut is very versatile. It could be used for, it can be used for savory dishes as well as sweet dishes and desserts. And you know how it is with our kakanin, you know, in the Everything is with coconut. And, um, and the savory ones, as I told you earlier, from starting from Bicol all the way down to uh, the bottom of Mindanao, I haven't even scratched the surface. So many coconut dishes. You know, Chap, in, um, in January, we had a cooking demo by Adatu, who was also a chef. I don't know if you've heard of um, Sharif Pendatun. He cooked Bangsamoro, you know, Muslim dishes, and all of them were coconut-based. And I tell you, we were in heaven. It was so good. Almost like representative or carrier of the cuisine, because like yourself, there are people who kind of really understand and believe that there's so much more to this ingredient than a lot of people sort of recognize and and see. I'm such a big fan of the idea of showing um, and leading by example. So even if it's something, as you said, uh, something like a cooking demo that is able to sort of encourage people in the audience to sort of think about this dish or this food a little bit differently, um, I'm just amazed because that has so much power and so much um, possibility almost. I know, yeah. And um, I, love, I love doing cooking demos. And I did it at the beginning of uh, after I uh, finished culinary school. 
But I didn't want to make a job of it. I did it for friends. I would invite them, you know, at my home. Going to culinary school really changed my life. And um, I have to say, I was a bit uh, cocky, you know, about being such a good cook that, you know, I don't, I don't need to do that. I don't need to learn that. But boy, it was humbling. There was so much I did not know when I went to culinary school, and I was so happy for that. For me, there were three um, essential um, principles, methods, techniques that I consider as the most important, you know, for any cook to, um, to know and to master. And the number one is food sanitation. You know, a lot of people don't, Pay attention to using the same chopping board for raw meat, vegetables, and, and that gets used, you know, and they just wipe it off. And I was guilty of that in the past. So that's for me, is prime. That's at the top. And the, the second one is mise en place. It makes a big difference when you prepare everything before you turn the oven or the fire on. You have to have everything ready. That's very important. And for me, it's the only way I, I would cook. Everything has to be next to me and ready to go into the pan, you know, before I start cooking. The third one is the technique of blanch and shock. Because especially if you're handling um, beautiful vegetables, the one mistake that a lot of people make, which I used to make myself, is to overcook the vegetables. And this blanch and shock thing, I use it now whenever I cook vegetables. Even my pinakbet, you know, when I cook pinakbet. The sitaw, the okra, the ampalaya, even the shrimp, they're blanched, half-cooked. And then when we're almost ready to eat, I start sautéing the garlic and the onion and put the shrimp head juice and patties and, you know. And at the end, when you're almost ready to eat, you just dump all the vegetables there, give, the, give it a stir until it's heated through, and voila, you have radiant green vegetables staring at you and wonderfully cooked to perfection. So for me, that's very important. I do this even when I do kare-kare uh, or even sinigang. I blanch and shock my, my vegetables. Next, I wanted to know, what were some of Reggie's favorite recipes from the Coconut Kitchen cookbook? There are um, some recipes that I go back to to cook, especially when I have company, because they're tried and tested recipes, and they always come out um, really well. And for the very easy ones, the quick and easy chicken coconut soup, my God, these are so easy, but they're so good. And for appetizers, I always, always do the dish on the cover, the roasted shrimp with coconut sauce. That is always a wow dish. When I bring that out to my guests, they say, wow. <laughs> so I always do that. 
it's a keeper, as I would say. Now, for the medium easy, you know, the shrimp summer rolls, um, I always serve this when I have friends over who are not Filipino. And then I would show them how I wrap it. I try to include hard to palm in there and the turnips and the carrots and the cilantro and the shrimp. And I do a shortcut and I buy a Thai sauce to save myself from making it from scratch. I just buy a, a jar of a bottle and it's so good. So these shrimp summer rolls, they are a winner. Even if it's not summer, I make them. <laughs> Oh, and my, um, my sweet and sour sauce. And you know, it's very funny. My mom is an excellent cook. When my book came out, I told her my sweet and sour sauce recipe is foolproof. She had that look in her eye like, mm, really? Better than mine? You know? <laughs> so I said, why don't you give it a try? Just follow the recipe to the letter and let me see what you think, which she did. She wrote the recipe on a 4 by 8 index card, and it's now on the fridge. There's one labor-intensive recipe that I also make a lot. It's the squid with ubud stuffing. It's labor-intensive, but oh my god, when I serve that, I sort of put the squid whole, and then I slice it in front of everybody, and then they see the filling, and, and then I put the coconut sauce oh my god <laughs> ah i would like to cook some now it's making me hungry now that's my favorite the ubud stuffed squid the ubud stuffed squid okay I, i'm looking at the picture of it right now and i have not tried that but i definitely would like to because that that's that's an afternoon when you have a weekend to cook <laughs> okay one tip that could help in the prep you know, when you stuff the squid, I just use my finger and um, a teaspoon, you know, and it's a hell of a job. It's, it's really time consuming. The other day when I made the dish, all of a sudden it came to me. I put the mixture in a piping bag and I tell you, I went through those squids in a jiffy. I don't know why I didn't think of it uh, before. I, I wish I could include it in the recipe, you know, as a tip, because it really makes all the difference in time, time management. Personally, what I really love about cooking, too, is that it's, it's always going to be a process of discovery and a process of improving. And just like sometimes if you even just want to change, yeah, like the way you do things or how long you cook it, um, there's never... A, you know, there's always room to kind of change things a little bit. Like for me, uh, and I don't know how many other people have had a similar experience, it's like like there's no shame in going away from a the way a Filipino dish is traditionally prepared. Obviously, you have to make those sorts of adjustments if you're not in the country, but then it doesn't mean that just because you change the ingredient or you change the substitution that the soul of the, the dish is kind of lost? No, 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 no. I mean, for me, dishes evolve. If that's the way you know that it's made back home and you're in a different place, you need to adapt. But even with that, you know, it's okay to substitute things for some of the ingredients. There should not be any guilt in it. I mean, a dish becomes yours when you cook it. 
And on the topic of adjusting to your tastes and what's available like around you, Reggie and I talk about vinegar and what to expect when you find really good coconut vinegar. When I make my sausawan made of vinegar, like for instance, for my lumpia, you know, I sometimes I would scoop the vinegar with a teaspoon and put it straight into my mouth. <laughs> I love it. And when I buy um, sinkamas or turnips, when I make this uh, summer rolls, of course, you know, I don't use the whole sinkamas. So whatever is left, I, I peel and chop, and I have this vinegar, heavily salted vinegar, <laughs> to use as a dip. And I almost drink the vinegar. So, well, anyway, I digress. No, it's not more. a digression. I was actually going to add that that's one of the things that I personally have found very fascinating about Filipino food products. Like the example you just shared with us, it can just start from that. But even that in itself is almost like a little microcosm of what makes Filipino cuisine so distinct and so unique because there's that balance between the the strong acidity of the vinegar that's you can if if it's a good quality coconut vinegar for example like you can you can tell that it's had time to to ferment and age and then the the simplicity of a sliced like turnip and it's not that it's kind of putting it like it like if you were a US food writer for example and you go oh this is like a great revelation but really like this is just a regular snack that <laughs> A lot of people eat, right? You know that sausawan is a, a very important part of our heritage cuisine. You can um, custom tailor, uh, you know, it depends. If you have four people eating, they can custom tailor, four Filipinos eating, they can custom tailor their meal by the sausawan that they, you know, that they choose. You can have soy sauce, suka, patis, pagoong, or, you know, all these acharabs. It's just part and parcel of our cuisine. Sausawan, you know, condiments. And because really, what most of us are going to be cooking with is a can of coconut milk or coconut cream, I wanted to hear Reggie's thoughts on how to properly cook with it. For Filipinos who live outside of the country, if their sort of main access to coconut is canned coconut milk uh, or coconut cream, um, I hope that that doesn't deter them from trying to cook a lot more with coconuts. Would you say that one of the keys to not letting the coconut milk or coconut cream curdle is just to do it low and slow in terms of like heat? Yeah, uh, slow, you know, with a gentle stirring and not leaving it um, with a fire on for a long time. What you do, you just heat it up until it starts to bubble a little bit and simmer and you turn it off and just keep, keep the stirring. And then when you're ready to serve, do that again, just a gentle simmer. And then you serve it right away. Otherwise, if you keep reheating it, it's going to curdle. Yeah, you don't hard boil coconut milk. I think I mentioned um, in the head notes and some of the recipes that you can use uh, tinned uh, or canned coconut milk because I I do here in in the U.S. I, I 
I have my favorite brand of canned coconut milk. It's Chowco. I also get the Trader Joe's, but you have to be careful with the Trader Joe's brand. They have the coconut cream, which is thicker, and the um, coconut milk, which is more liquid. And there is a a big difference because, you know, once I made ginataan, uh, the dessert, and in my hurry, I used one can of regular liquid coconut and I pulled out a Trader Joe's. It was the cream and I had already opened it and I said, oh, what the heck, big mistake. It should be the liquid kind. And there are uses for the thick, almost solid cream, but uh, not very many uses when you're using it for cooking savory dishes. Finally, I asked Reggie, what does she hope readers can take away from Coconut Kitchen appetizers and main dishes? Well, the very first thing would be, I would love it if more people could be educated about the coconut, especially among the Filipinos, okay? If we can all be educated about the coconut and its importance in our history, culture, and economy. The second one is the knowledge and the belief in the science and the evidence about the health benefits of eating coconuts. And um, I would like people to master how to cook with coconut milk and make it a staple in their kitchens. That's my third takeaway. Sincerest thanks to Regina Tolentino Newport for this interview. I really do feel blessed getting to speak with some incredible people, and I hope to continue sharing these kinds of conversations and experiences around food, around Filipino food, with anyone who wants to listen. Our theme music is by David Seste, segment music is by Eric and McGill, Podington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, I would really be thankful if you told someone else about it. Honestly, word of mouth means everything, and it is, I think, the reason why the podcast is steadily growing. I'm totally committed to doing the show, you guys, and I want to keep working on episode ideas, themes, deep dives, researching a bunch of stuff, and finally, I hope to hire a producer to help with my audio. That's my in-the-next-year plan. Um, but the reality is, living in Toronto ain't cheap, and it takes real-world resources to polish up and take exploring Filipino kitchens to the place where I'd love it to be, and ultimately a better place for you to listen to. Head to exploringfilipinokitchens.com and find the show on Facebook and Instagram. If you think doing something like Patreon is something you'd be into, please drop me a quick line. I'd love to get your feedback. Maraming salamat. And thank you for listening.